Tales with John Smith, Year One, Chapter Four, Hong Kong. It is pouring rain, and we are standing outside the school with our carry-on bags, hoping to get a taxi to the train station. But there is nobody on the street. It is seven a.m., and we are with three other teachers: Joe, Nora, and Kirby, all Chinese. Joe, who speaks both Cantonese and Mandarin, takes over as our guide in getting us to the train. To get any form of transportation outside the school gates, we would normally have to walk about three blocks to get a bus or a normal taxi, which you would have to flag down. The school is situated in the industrial part of town, so there are not many taxis passing by on a good day, and this is a national holiday. Every bus that has passed us has people hanging out of them. They wouldn't stop even if we were at a bus stop. There are usually unlicensed taxis outside the school gates that charge double what a real cab does, but none of them are here today. Joe says we should try outside another school, which is a few blocks away, so closer to the center. So we walk, soaked, dragging our suitcases. Starting to get nervous because if we miss this train, we will not get another one. After a few minutes, a van pulls up to the school. A teenage girl gets out to go into the school, and before the van leaves, Joe knocks on the door and says something to him. Then motions for us to get in. We all get into the van, dripping water everywhere from our clothes and bags, and notice the driver is still in his pajamas, and the poor guy is looking very sleepy. He drives us to an apartment complex called Wang Ke, where lots of the teachers live, and there is more activity. He drops us off, and of course there are tons of other people trying to flag down cabs, and there are very few passing by. We finally manage to get two separate cabs, as they wouldn't take all five of us and the luggage. And thanks to Joe and somebody's dad, we make the train with enough time to load up with various treats that will serve as breakfast. The only things John and I recognize are beef jerky, potato chips, and dried soup noodles, which we are told by the others is what many people eat on the train, since the trains supply plenty of hot water. The station and the train remind me of the Eurostar. We are traveling at three hundred kilometers an hour, going through the small villages. Green irrigated fields and people working in the sun. This bullet train travels to Guangzhou. There, we will switch to a slow train to get to Hong Kong. Guangzhou is formally known as Canton, so they speak Cantonese there, unlike the rest of China where they speak Mandarin. We play a complicated but funny card game that Nora, who speaks Mandarin, brought with her. But the instructions on each card are in Chinese, so she has to explain every move every player makes, which makes it less fun. The train only takes three and a half hours. A normal train to here would have been about twelve hours. We have arrived in Guangzhou. And Joe 
gets us to the subway and on the right line as we have to travel across the city to get to another train station. We say goodbye as Joe is flying to Taiwan from here. We thank him as we would not have made it this far without his help. We arrive in Kowloon, go through customs and across to Hong Kong Island. Nora's friend comes to pick her up from here and we carry on to the hotel accompanied by Kirby who speaks Cantonese, the official language of Hong Kong, even though most people speak English there. John and I fall in love with Hong Kong. It is bright and shiny, very cosmopolitan and full of life. Our hotel is on the side of the mountain on Hong Kong Island, above the shops and restaurants in what looks like a residential area full of high-rise apartments and skinny winding streets. Kirby was born here and is staying with his aunt not too far down the road. We check into our room and there is a lovely queen-size bed with soft cotton white sheets. But there is not much storage and the space on each side of the bed is barely big enough to slide our carry-on bags into. It is clean and there is a shower and toilet and, looking out the window from the 25th floor, we can see the winding roads below and the bright lights of the city and the harbour. John smiles and says, Here we are in Hong Kong. At this point, I have to go back a little and explain that two nights before we left, my front tooth came off. My tooth is a veneer, like a fake fingernail. I have six of them all in front, and the dentist who installed them did so about 12 years ago in the UK as my teeth and gums had badly deteriorated from taking the medication I took for 30 years for epilepsy. When they install them, they have to shave your teeth down to stick them on top, so it's not pretty underneath, and you don't want to ever lose the veneers on top. It did not occur to me that it could happen. But the night before we left for Hong Kong, I did a silly thing and ate a frozen chocolate bar. I bit down and felt it loosen and come off. Horrified, I did not want to show it to John, but eventually I did, and with the help of an emergency repair kit I brought from the UK, he stuck it back on and I vowed to be extremely careful with it. We are eating a delicious Thai meal with Kirby close to our hotel, and I forget about my tooth and bite into a cucumber. The tooth comes off. I put it in a tissue in my pocket and try to remember not to smile. I tell John and Kirby to go down to the port to watch the firework displays, which are meant to be spectacular. I don't feel like going out now. I go back to the hotel to the reading room to watch the fireworks from there. I'm feeling sorry for myself. John comes back and says there were so many people. They didn't really get to see much, and it was loud. He replaces my tooth again with the kit, and we call it a night. We are in a Japanese restaurant for lunch. 
and I order a soft noodle soup, which should be safe. I am eating the soup, and I notice the tooth is out. I run my tongue around my mouth, and it's not there. I look down at the soup with horror and realize it must be there. I start to dig through it with my chopsticks, searching through the noodles and tofu, which are the same color as my tooth. The waiter comes over with a questioning look on his face, thinking no doubt that I had found something bad in the soup. I wave him away, not wanting to open my mouth or make a scene. I find it. John wraps it up and puts it safely in his pocket. We are now in a market in Kowloon, and I am trying not to smile, talking like Humphrey Bogart out of the corner of my mouth when necessary. We find some cool stuff, including a statue of Chairman Mao in a bathrobe waving to the people after having made his famous swim across the Yangtze River. The man who owns the stall speaks perfect English and tells us the story behind everything he has. It is great to be able to converse with him. Earlier today, we also went to the bird market, where there were lots of pretty birds in bamboo and metal cages, some parrots on perches, some with little chains on their ankles, and a few wild birds flying around taking advantage of the scrap seeds that fall to the ground. We also went to the flower market earlier to take in the blocks of beautiful flowers and the art gallery where we found a small watercolor of a dragon. I am at the dentist now as John tried to stick my tooth back in, but the kit is no longer working. He suggests I use crazy glue, and I thought a dentist would be better. We found one who agreed to see me right away, and he told me I was lucky I didn't lose it in China. He said they wouldn't have known what to do with it. Then he said I needed them all replaced, as they had come to the end of their shelf life. I told him I could not afford to do that, and he said he could only do a temporary job on the one that had fallen off. I asked him if he could make it as good as possible, as it would have to last a year. I think he did a better job than he let on, because it feels quite solid. The rest of the trip goes very well. There are so many places to see in Hong Kong. Markets, temples, beaches, shopping, and the clothes and shoes are UK sizes. We hang out by the hotel swimming pool, take a ferry, go up to Victoria Peak on the rail car that runs on cable, literally feels like you are traveling vertically. There is a stunning view from the top. We buy English books, eat some wonderful food from many different countries, including a proper full English breakfast see three movies in English, in a cinema with real popcorn. We take a long cable car up over some mountains to another island to see the giant Buddha with Kirby. We get to go on Facebook. Yes, this is a thrill. 
But my favorite thing there is the escalators. They say it is the longest escalator in the world, but it is actually a series of them. It goes up the side of the mountain from downtown. We discovered we could get to our hotel on them without taking a bus or taxi. You travel past the restaurants and bars along the way, many of which are all open, so you can see into them and decide if you want to stop and check any of them out or any of the shops on the streets the escalator crosses over. There are places every 30 meters where you can get off the escalator. It goes down the mountain in the morning until about 9.30 a.m. and after that goes back up the mountain for the rest of the day. Not sure what time it ends, but we are always able to get back to the hotel, which is in the mid-levels, at about 11 p.m. So cool! Everything is so easy. We would love to live here. Anyway, we are back in Wuhan now, and John has started working again. I have been asked by a couple people if I want to do some teaching somewhere outside the school. The person who told me about it says it doesn't pay a lot, but it is quite easy. Mm-hmm.